Hey Purpose Peeps, this is Dina Wiggins of DinaWiggins.com, your sister in purpose and me sultans. So today, Purpose Peeps, I want to welcome you. I welcome you to the Sparkfly, the place where our growing community of Purpose Peeps comes together to unlock. Unlock what sparks you, unlock what makes you come alive, and learn from other Purpose Peeps how to leverage it, how to build your sparked life and create real results that matter. So purpose piece, one question. Are you ready? Let's go. Hello, Purpose Peeps. It's so wonderful to be with you today. So much has happened since we got together last, and I'm so thrilled. We have such a treat today. So today is going to be the first interview format for the Purpose Peeps around living the sparked life. And I'm so thrilled to have what I think is going to be one of the most powerful and influential conversations for our group about where we are right now in the middle of this pandemic, and then some of the social ailments that still find their way ever present, even during this time, and how this time is a real opportunity to kind of pull the veil off and take a look at some things uh, while we are all kind of slowed down at a different pace. So today, my friends, I bring to you Mr. Kenneth Barnes Sr., and um, Mr. Barnes, and we'll talk more about our um, connection and relationship, um, but his life changed on September 24, 2001. And so he was living his ordinary life, his best life, working towards his doctoral degree in clinical psychology at Loyola College in Maryland. But on this day, he tragically lost his son. And it was the worst type of um, trauma. His son, Kenneth Barnes Jr., only 37 years old, was murdered, shot during a robbery. But through his anguish, the senior Barnes founded Reaching Out to Others Together, Inc., or also known as ROOT, a not-for-profit that mobilizes communities to reduce homicides resulting from gun and youth violence. And so now uh, Mr. Barnes uses his research and advocacy skills in a number of ways. His research on youth in grades 5 to 12 found that in some school districts, as many as 90% of students, 90% purpose peaks, of students have been affected by the loss of a family member or friend to gun violence. And in 2009, Mr. Barnes was involved in a nationwide organizing campaign for the Communities in Action Neighborhood Defense and Opportunity Act, which called for funding gun violence prevention efforts in pilot cities across the country. And then, my friends, in 2011, President Barack Obama yeah. granted Mr. Barnes the President's Volunteer Service Award for his commitment to volunteerism. So to Barnes, a worthy goal of um, after suffering tragedy, listen to this purpose, peeps, and let it sink in deeply, is to be able to delve deep inside of oneself and make something positive out of something so terribly negative. And so that's a part of his um, formal bio and it's just all this um, juiciness. So he's also a host of, um, of um, two radio shows, Community in Action, 
and also Spirit in Action. He's also the 2009 recipient of um, the DOJ National Crime Victim Service Award. He is a 2009 Purpose Prize Fellow. He is um, the BET KFC Hometown Hero of the Year for 2009. Some people call him Advocate against gun violence. Some people call him parental engagement specialist. Some people call him working with at-risk youth. Other people call him a radio personality and speaker, and I am privileged to call him my uncle. So now I can call him Uncle Kenny and welcome Uncle Kenny to um, the Sparked Life podcast. <laughs> wow, Nina. Um, excuse me. Wow. That was incredible. I didn't know I did that much. <laughs> But, it, but anyway, it's incredible that you mentioned the Purpose people that you're talking to. Mm-hmm. And I received an award from the Purpose Prize. Oh, yeah. And then I'm a Purpose Prize fellow. Yeah. I received it at Stanford University mm-hmm. in 2009. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's incredible. So I refer to, um, in t- with intentionality, I refer to my audience as the purpose peeps. So every time I talk to them, every time I connect with them, because I want them to understand that no matter where they are in life, no matter what socioeconomic status, no matter what type of um, you know challenges, which really are the birthplace of purpose, whatever's going on in life, like the sparked life is available for you and it's available now. So I just speak that with intention over and over and over again until hopefully people start to think of themselves that way. So Kenny, just take us through, take us through your life prior to September 24th, 2001. Let us know what was, what was up with you. You know, one thing I want to say too, Dana, just for a minute, is that what you have to try to do is you have to learn how to take a negative. In every negative, there's a positive somewhere. Mm-hmm. It may be hard to find it, mm-hmm. but in every negative, there's a positive. Mm-hmm. Boy, Dana, you know, I, I just turned 75. Mm-hmm. So to go back to what I said, I decided to go back to college. And in 1992, at, I don't know, I was 45, 55, 65, 85, 95. Wow. I was like 40, 50 years old. I decided to go back to college. I had no idea like, what I was going to be able to do. Because I'd been out of college, I'd been out of school for 30 years. Right. Right. Yeah. I went to UDC. And when they give the intake, they used to give you go to my concluding UDC, but they would give you an entrance test. test. Mm-hmm. And so it was about 800 people uh, applying for UDC at that time in my freshman class. And they would give you the test. I scored honors. Only eight people out of 800 scored honors. Wow. And I was one, and I scored honors. Wow. So, it was your time, I, Uncle Kenny. Yeah. And so I decided what was the best thing for me to do. I knew psychology. I knew about psychology. Mm-hmm. And this is another thing that's not really discussed. Psychology is a major Western tenant. It's, it's for Western society. It's not used in Eastern society. Mm-hmm. It's only for Western society. And all the treatment methods are for white Western males. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I said, you know what? I can I can use the knowledge I learned from psychology and I might can go back and help some people out like where I grew up and all. And people right. in that environment. Right. 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 And so and so I graduated from UDC in nineteen ninety seven, Magna Cum Laude. Mm. And, uh, and then 
uh, I was accepted at Loyola University in, in 1997. And I became, I don't know if I was the first black. If I wasn't the first, I may have been the second or third. But I was by, by far the, old, the oldest person ever accepted in their program. Mm -hmm. And so I was doing fine for two years. I was going into my third year. And that's when I got the news uh, that my son was murdered. Mm. And so I dropped out of college, didn't know what I was gonna do, but I felt I had to do something. Okay, wait a minute, slow down. Let me let me slow you down right there. Because mm -hmm. um, Purpose Peeps, I want you to appreciate um, the timing that this happened. Okay, so here he is just pursuing, he's on this purpose path. Um, he is in the realm of divine time and you can tell because I mean things are in flow Okay, and um, In 2001 of course was 9-11. So you got to think when this happened this happened not even two weeks after 9-11 right. And if you remember that night uncle Kenny, there was a tornado that touched down like around uh, University of Maryland College yeah, Park, you remember that. area You remember that? I remember that because we were on the phone because the phone lines were jammed up and we were on the phone conference calling everyone in the family to make sure that like my sister got home with her children because every lit a lot of family lived in close proximity to this um you know tornado that I mean never happened, right? Only time in history, uh before that and after that, that our tornado has come to Washington, DC. And so I am, um, you know, I dropped out so I didn't know what I was going to do. So in the meantime, I had to, uh, trying to figure out what I was going to do. So I was with a young lady named Beth, you remember? Mm -hmm. And we were going up Route 1, and we saw this tornado. And I'm trying to get out of the way of the tornado. Mm -hmm. And so we ride like crazy, going in, going to my house, and I lived in Lowell at that time. Mm -hmm. And by the time I got out and, and, and got down, my phone rang. And the first person that called me was your mother. Mm -hmm. And your mother called me and said, uh, wow, Kitty, uh, Kitty got shot. The Kitty got shot. I can be emotional every time I talk about this. Uh, that Kitty got shot. Mm -hmm. But that's all she knew. And then uh, Annette called me and told me that he was dead. Mm -hmm. Right? And, and my we children called one. him Uncle Little Kenny. <laughs> yeah. You remember we had a boat, Dana? Mm -hmm. Riding up down on the water in a 36 foot uh, yacht. And everybody on the water knew because uh, the boat was called Kenny's too. And mm -hmm. we were living large. And Kenny used to ride that boat all the time. Yeah, and, most people thought it, and most people thought it was Kenny's boat. They had no idea it was mine. That's how close that's how close you guys were. So yeah. here you yeah. are, you come in the house, you get this phone call. First phone call is Kenny's been shot. Second phone oh, call mama. is right yeah. from from Annette is that um ah, Kenny has yeah. been killed. And so right. um what ha what what ha what did you do? Well, at that time I had nothing to do but I had to go to the hospital. Right. And I went to the hospital. He was at DC General. I mean, I'm sorry. He was at Howard University. Mm -hmm. And I think by that time, everyone, I don't know, I don't know who's there. I'm sure your mother was there. And people were there and, and I didn't know. And then I saw him laying there and I lost. 
So where was it. so where was Kenny when he was killed? Okay. Kenny owned a clothing store on 11th and U Street Northwest. Now the story behind that is, is that when Kenny bought that store, I asked him, was he out of his mind? Mm -hmm. He had a store in Silver Spring. He decided to come down to U Street. And so he came down there and, bought, and he, he bought the store around 98 or 99. Mm -hmm. He said, Dad, you, you don't understand. U Street is getting ready to break up. Because at that time, at U Street, there were drug dealers and drugs and lots of stuff walking down, down U Street. Mm -hmm. So here we have a second generation purpose peeps of businessmen. So my cousin was a successful businessman with a successful um, series of stores. He had kiosks. It was like he had the magic touch. Anything that he did that was business minded, like he was a visionary. He could see he was selling bonsai plants. Purpose peeps. I'm just like, he would have been so, he would have been thriving at different ways to innovate in the economy. Yeah. I'm just, you know, I think about him a lot when I see yeah. how some of his forward thinking ideas, like my family had the flyest um, landscaping in DC wow. at our residence wow. on T Street. We had the bonsai wow. plants. We had this whole wow. vibe going on yeah. before there was an HGTV. Before all these things took off, took off, right? Wow. Back to the hospital. So you're at the hospital wow. and you're seeing little Kenny. And right. you, you it was, I never forget. It was on a gurney, mm. and his arm was over the gurney, mm. and I grabbed. He had a he had a bandage around his head, right. And I grabbed his arm, and then I just, they had to put me in the hospital. Mm. You know, yeah, I, I was admitted for a minute. Mm -hmm. And then I came back out and tried to get my wits together. And, and I did. And everybody came up to me and like, you know the way they are. Mm -hmm. We're going to take care of this. We're, don't worry, Mr. Barnes, we'll take care of this. And then the next day or two, this young man turned himself in. Mm-hmm. And found out and found out that he was an escapee from the juvenile justice system in Washington, DC. Mm. Called the youth called the Youth Services Administration. He had absconded and come to find out he was absconded on numerous occasions and he had killed two other people in the in the in the course of that year. So oh he was goodness. damn near he was damn near a serial killer. Right. And then and then what happened after that? And you can you can look this up too when you do your research. A newspaper reporter by the name of Sue Chan called me mm -hmm. and said, "Mr. Barnett, I need you to sit down. I need to talk to you." And I said, "Okay, what's what's wrong, Mr. Chan?" He said, "I'm I'm doing a major expose about the juvenile justice system in Washington D.C., but I didn't want to do it until I talked to you because you want to be featured. You and your son's death." I will be one of the featured components of this story. Mm -hmm. He said, uh, your son should never be murdered. He was a scondy from the juvenile justice system. He was a violent child. And what they're doing is they're letting violent children just abscond. And they're not doing much about going and getting them. Mm -hmm. They're not doing much about it. Uh, and the only way they're going to get these kids is if they're involved in some kind of crime or robbery or something. Or killing and leaving in the bed, mm -hmm. right? That's the only way to really kill them. Mm -hmm. And so, I, then I had an epiphany. Then I I was so mad at that kid 
And I still am. I'm not gonna say I'm not. Mm-hmm. You know, they talk about reparations, restorative justice. Not for me. Mm-hmm. Not, you can never restore restorative justice for me. But anyway, then I had another thing come. I said, wait a minute. Same time, who was really at fault here? Right. You got this violent child that you know he's violent, and you keep letting him get away. Mm-hmm. So then, you know, you know what my next fight was. I said, now, okay. Now I found out what I got to do. Because I didn't know what I was going to do. I mm-hmm. said, now I found out what I got to do. Mm-hmm. Something's got to be done about this system. And that's mm-hmm. when I went on a, you know, as a fighter. Mm-hmm. And so I directed on all my energy towards that. Mm-hmm. So when we get ready to go to court, Wayne Cohen comes to me. It says, Mr. Martin, you're not going to be this. The District of Columbia has a law preventing them or any of their employees from getting sued by the actress, by the actress, somebody uh, in their custody or, or by anybody that works for them. So we can't sue them. Right. And we can go to court. Right. But I'm still mad. But I'm still mad. Mm-hmm. So Mayor Williams refuses to talk to me. I'm trying to get in contact with him. And I'm saying, you need to talk to me. I wrote him a letter. You mm-hmm. need to talk to me. Or you and I need to have a discussion. He paid me, he ignored me. Mm-hmm. So then what I decided to do, everybody in the city is ignoring me. And my son is murdered. Now I got the guy who killed my son. He's in custody. Mm-hmm. I said, the next thing I did was, something's got to be done. So I went up on Capitol Hill. And I went and I found out who was in charge of district government. And it was who was in charge of the, of the appropriate health appropriations. And who could do something about this agency, right? Mm-hmm. So I found out that it was a senator by the name of uh, Mike DeWine. Mm-hmm. If, you, if, you, if, you, if you recognize that name, he's now the governor of Ohio. Wow. Yeah, it's a senator by the name of Mike DeWine. Mm-hmm. That's a right wing, a right wing Republican, mm-hmm. and another senator by the name of Mary Landro, and she's out of New Orleans. So I met with the officers, and I met with both of the officers, and they said this is terrible. We saw the newspaper article, and we can't believe this happened. Mister Barnes, we want to do something about this. Both of them did, and so what they ended up doing was they ended up holding hearings, hearings in the United States uh, Senate. Mm-hmm. I was there. They held hearings, they brought the city administrator in and everything. So what happened was, because of my advocacy, what happened was, YSA agency, YSA, the agency known as uh, Youth Services Organization Agency, was disbanded. The director was fired, the agency was disbanded, and a new agency became known, is now known as DYRS, Department of Youth Rehabilitation Service, Rehabilitation Service. Directly wow, so the attention shifted um, with the with the new agency. Wow. Well, yes. But it was, if I hadn't done what I did, it's the point mm-hmm. I'm trying to make. Mm-hmm. If I hadn't done what I did, mm-hmm. it would probably be still called YSA. Mm-hmm. So, that, so, so I want to ask you something, because before um, the advocacy and the change started to take place, mm-hmm. what do you think was different about... Um, your advocacy and how you told the story that got the attention because at this time there was so much violence going right. on in the area right. 
So how, right. how did that happen? Because I remember you were you were all over the place um, right, in terms right. of interviews and advocacy. Right. So tell us right. about that. Well, well, I know a couple of things. First of all, you know, I had to take, I don't know, I felt that with my son being murdered, I had to get the person that killed him. Mm-hmm. And I took care of that. And phase two of my plan was that I had to get this agency was the one that let this kid go. And I took care of that. Okay. That's the way my mind was thinking. As a matter of fact, when the director of that agency, DYS, he retired and he went to New York. His name is Vincent Chiraldi. He's a director of the prison system in New York now, in New York, in New York City. Right. When he retired, he called me up to the stage and he thanked me. And he said, for in front of all these people, he thanked me. He said, Kenny, I want everybody to know and I want to thank you. Because if it weren't for you, I wouldn't have this job. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Wow. And so, and I, but another thing I know, it's me. Listen, I'm fighting with it. Now I'm by myself. I don't have nobody but me. Now, some people believe that uh, change, uh, change, you know, one person at a time. I never subscribed to that. Mm-hmm. And the reason that I never subscribed to that, because you gotta change the community. If you change one person, it's not gonna have direct person, not any direct impact impact mm-hmm. on anybody but that one person, that one person's family. Mm-hmm. It's not gonna have any impact on the community. Mm-hmm. So I felt that I had to uh, change the community. Mm-hmm. And how did I how would I go about doing that? Well fortunately, you know, I'm a good friend and almost like a member of our family. Priscilla Carr. Mm-hmm. You know, you remember Priscilla? Yeah, I remember her, sure. She, she is now one of the biggest uh, publicists in the industry. I mean, she promotes all the every name of major act that she promotes. Right. Uh, Beyonce, uh, just name them. And she, and she publishes them. Well, and so I went to her and she, and I said, you know what? I need to do something. And we and she and I talk. So for the stuff I was doing, she started doing press releases. And the press would show up. And then I said, you know what, Priscilla? Let's do a press, let's do a press conference at the National Press Club. Now you remember there's nobody but me. Right? <laughs> and what was the what was the name of the organization? It was, I called it, I had an epiphany. I called it Root, which stands for reaching out to others together. Because I felt that the way to deal with violence is not a racial thing. It's not a Republican thing. It's not a Democratic thing. It's an American thing. Mm-hmm. And so I named it that because we all need to get together. Mm-hmm. But also, the acronym was ROOT. And that stood for we needed to get to the root of the problem. Right. What is creating the most violent children in the history of the United States of America? Right. Right, so we need to get to the root of the problem, and that's why. I mean, let me that. slow you down for one second, because I want the I want the purpose peeps to take in what's happening, because it's a lot. Like your story is incredible, and your journey is incredible. So you went from being a um, you know, angry, heartbroken, distraught um, father right. to wanting to make sure that um, that you know the person that was responsible took responsibility and was held accountable for that. But then after you found out about the circumstances surrounding this young man, 
something in you said, wait a minute, this is a bigger narrative. This is a bigger thing at hand. And I could could choose to just focus on me and my situation and let it end there. Or I could choose to do something that that could um, make sure that this is not replicated. And help a lot of and help a lot of other families. Yeah, yeah. So you had it. So you had. So his his purpose view, purpose peeps, was um, communal, if not societal, right? Right. Right. And both, so both. I both. Both. Mhm. 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 Wow. That that that's that's incredible. That's incredible. Yeah. So tell 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 us about um, some of the um, projects and some of the things that um, you were able to do through Root. Okay, so like I said, when I, when I started off, and so Priscilla and I, I decided to do a press, couple of press conference at the National Press Club mm-hmm. in Anosa and get all this, you know, all this press coverage. And all of a sudden, I'm a celebrity now. You know, I'm all over the news, and, and everybody knows who I am. And people knew me from, they knew me from most concerts, they knew me from most the go-go. Now they know me in this whole new genre. You know, here wait, I wait, am. Wait, hold up. Let me, let me, because this is a, this is a juicy nugget you just touched on, Uncle Kenny. So, okay, so um, because so when you think about his um, path to purpose journey, and you know how he was able to go across all these different industries from his penchant around connecting with community, you couldn't right. be the top seller in the insurance industry with door-to-door sales if you didn't have that presence. In right. community, right, and be able to talk about communal benefits. You right. couldn't um, well, and be able to have the personality. Mm-hmm. See, to be able to understand how to deal with people, mm-hmm. you have to understand how to connect with people. Yes, and I have that ability. Yes. Yeah, and so that's a that's a common theme, you know, throughout your journey, and it just like right. um, manifested itself differently and connected you with different opportunities, but that was like at the core of everything, so now instead of the building the community around this new music genre, building um, community around these different, you know, our upcoming artists and giving them a platform that they've never had before as African-American musicians, and so now here is the advocacy for us, all of us, to heal our communities and stop some of these um, this systemic violence. Correct. Wow. And at that time, you know, black children were being killed and not much attention was given to them. Mm-hmm. And so, and at that time, when my son was murdered, there had been a murder of a white person who owned a store in Georgetown. Mm-hmm. When I look up and this guy's murder is all over the news, even got on CNN. But no attention was paid to my son. Wow. Until I until I put that attention. Right. Mm. Then I put the attention to him, but it wasn't immediate. Mm-hmm. Right. And you gotta realize you and I were talking about this last night. All the way along, you know, I never knew what uh, because what the I, connection the, the connection broke up. Say it one more time, the connection broke up. I never knew what the hell I was going to do. Right. I'm talking about when I did these things. That was not my plans. I said, now, and let me plan, let me get into promotions, or let me get into insurance, or let me go to school and get a degree in psychology, or let me form a nonprofit. None of that was anything I sat down and planned. I was driven to it, or, or something told me to do it. 
Ah, so purpose peeps, did you hear that nugget? Did you hear That's about that spark and that nudge? So you know how they talk about the nudge theory, the nudge theory, especially in um, you know public health communication strategies. So um, you know the spark within us will kind of guide us like on our next, and we don't have any idea how these things are connected right. because we're being right. like called to this like bigger plan. And then right. we can have the partner to the spark, which is the nudge that kind of nudges our behavior that helps us to line up with the direction of the spark. Cause we don't know where spark right. is going, right? You just, you, none, you just answer none, right? none of these things are connected. Mm. <laughs> Not one industry is connected to the other. Right. 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 And right. And so, Yes. And so I'm saying, I'm doing it. And like I did with my son. And when I got that newspaper article, I said, oh, now I see what I need to do. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then I accomplished that. I had a three, I had three plans. The first was to get the kid. The second was to get the agency. And the third was to deal with gun violence, but not only just local, but national basis. Well, right. I, I won the first two battles. And didn't win the last one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I want the first two that. Yes. Because, and the reason why is that people don't care about young black men getting killed. I don't care what they get on TV and say. They don't care. I guarantee you that if young black, the number one death for African American youth in America today from 18 to 35 is death by gun violence. That's the number one death, the number one killer. Now I guarantee you that the number one killer of white young men from 18 to 35, it would be happening. Mm. It would not, it would not be happening. It would have been stopped by now. Well, I you know what 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 um it was a couple of things that kind of um like were the genesis to us having this conversation. And I'm so glad we're having this conversation. It's so rich on so many different levels. Um, but I thought about you with everything with Ahmaud Arbery. I thought about you. I thought about, my God, how would that have felt if we had to watch you know, Kenny's uh, murder happening in real time, like on television. And the reason why that, that level of gruesome was so important is because people had to get angry because it was two months after he was killed and his um, alleged killers were walking the streets, right? And um, it took the public outcry to say, no, no, we can't do this. And I remember that um, that um, one of the things that you mentioned in our conversations was a, 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 a term you coined called um, chronic trauma, traumatic stress disorder. Chronic traumatic stress Correct. disorder. Correct. And um, so talk about that, please. Okay. Well, of course, you know there's such a thing as post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm -hmm. And that occurs when some trauma has taken place, but you, that trauma is in your past now. Mm -hmm. You know, like if you go to Vietnam or, or Afghanistan or your mother, whatever, uh, your mother died and you got beat civilians as a child, whatever, or you were molested as a child. You, you, have, you can have post-traumatic stress disorder, mm -hmm. but that's based on something that has happened. Right. Well, I coined the term chronic traumatic stress disorder because with the kids, uh, with the kids in our community, it's not something in the past. 
-hmm. It is something ongoing. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, I, when I got when I formed Root, I went over to this is cool in Southeast Washington. Uh, I forget the name that I was not giving the name school, but anyway, it was a school where the most children being murdered and the most murders came out of. It was a school in Southeast Washington on uh, Mississippi Avenue. Mm -hmm. I decided to go by that school because I thought I could do something good. Mm -hmm. And I met the school counselor there. Her name was Ann Bridgeley. I won't forget her name. Mm -hmm. And she held class, she was holding classes on children. Uh, uh, that class was doing group therapy with children who had been impacted by gun violence. Mm -hmm. Now, this was the first time that I honestly really realized this. That these kids impacted by gun violence, and guess what? They were all termed as learning disabled. Wow. That wasn't that wasn't their problem. No, they it were wasn't. not they were not learning disabled. Right. Okay. Right. They were suffering from what I call chronic traumatic stress disorder. These kids have had family members members murdered. They had walked over bodies in the street. They had two or three family members murdered, mm. right? Mm. And that's when I first realized, wow. So then what I did it was I, 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 uh, I put, a, put a tool together, an instrument together. And I, and I took this instrument and I tested in Washington, D.C., in Prince George's County, and in New Orleans, Louisiana. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I had like, Four or five basic questions. I think you may have seen it all. So, and one, the first question I asked was, "How many? How many children? How many children have been impacted by gun violence, loss of family member or friend?" Well, ninety percent of them were saying no. Like mm -hmm. all of them, damn, it was damn ninety-nine percent. I, mean, I just said ninety percent was saying no. Mm -hmm. And then I would ask, "How many? How many of you hear gun violence in your community?" Well, again, 90% was saying And then I would ask, how many members of your family or friends are affected by drug abuse or alcohol, alcoholism? Once again, 90, 95% of them were saying that. Now, this is the kicker. Now, this is the kicker. Mm -hmm. When I asked these same children, how many, how many of you have received any help from any professional? A therapist, psychologist, a member of the clergy, any professional help from anybody, like 10% of them stood up. Wow. Now, I can't. Hold on, hold on, hold on. You got to let that rest for a second. You got to let that, you got to let that rest over the audience for a second. 10%. So with the with the, with the the volume and the capacity, you know, of violence and trauma and 10%. And another thing that we talked about, Uncle Kenny, um, was that, like, um, you know, after Kenny's, and unfortunately, Purpose Peeps, um, my cousin Kenny was not the only um, family member that was right. um, murdered violently. Right. Well, I don't know how right. you can not be murdered violently. So one of the things that my uncle and I were talking about is that, um, like, I had removed um, the violence that had happened in my family. We, three family members um, were murdered. Um, 
one before Kenny passed away. See, right. I, I still say passed away. It's like I have a block from talking about the horror of the trauma. And I, although I have had a lot of um, therapeutic services and I, I have experienced a lot of healing modality, I have never to this day focused on violence Right. Um, systemic violence that happened within right. my own family. So for the three right. people that were killed, there were two that were shot at point blank range that survived right. it. And um, I mean, so just th this is the heaviness that I feel that my family and I, we relocated from the Washington metropolitan area to Georgia. Subconsciously, I feel that we were running from that. We were running from that trauma, trying to create something different. I can remember um, like all the effort that we put into finding a safe community for our family, for our kids, right? right? right. And mm -hmm. so then to come to Georgia and then to have to deal with, um, you know, racial profiling. And, um, you know, so we didn't have a violent interaction around that, but it we had some very... Um, some very challenging situations that could easily have turned violent, easily right. have turned violent. And then we would be featured on the news, right? right? And then trying to, and trying to paint our family members in the most positive light, like their right. lives deserved not to be cut short or not to be murdered that way for nothing. And I think yeah. that is definitely a, a, a symptom of chronic traumatic stress disorder. Yeah. These type of things and trying to avoid these type of scenarios is always playing into the minds of um, marginalized people and people of color. In our society today, and I proved it with that test, right? So now, so then what I try to do, me with my, when I first, when, I, when Kenny first got killed, I'm very naive about all of this violence that comes out. I'm in school, and I know where I grew up, and I know it was violent where I grew up, but nobody was getting killed when I grew up. You might get beat up with someone, nobody's getting killed. So I'm new to this, right? Mm -hmm. And so when I'm working on this and I'm fighting with the government, and I'm watching I have to fight with the government about this. Why should I have to fight with the city government and the mayor? Why should I have to go to Congress to get something changed and be recognized, right? Mm -hmm. So then when I do this and I come up with this, with this system, and it's two things anybody should immediately recognize. Uh, one of the things that you should, well, the first thing you should recognize that children are being labeled as learning disabled instead of with traumatic uh, injuries. Mm -hmm. You should notice that immediately because there's two types of ways you would deal with that. Mm -hmm. If you're learning disabled, <clears throat> if you're dyslexic, for example, mm -hmm. <clears throat> there's one way you deal with that. But if you are suffering from trauma, there's another way you have to deal with that. Mm -hmm. But you're loving them all together. Mm -hmm. And you're saying all these children are turning the same. That should have jumped out immediately. And the second thing that should have jumped out, that anybody knows, I mean, it shouldn't take a genius, that 90% of children are being infected. Right? Mm -hmm. Imagine the impact that it has, and what nobody's doing anything about it. You want to talk about these children killing each other, but not a damn person is doing a damn thing about it. There's no intervention going on. Take it to the district government, it goes nowhere. It goes nowhere. Wow. I was talking about when my son got murdered, 
I was talking about this is a it's a public health issue, not a legal problem. And what were they doing? They were they were talking about hiring more police. Now, 20 years ago, that has been my mantra from 20 years ago. What are they talking about now? What are they talking about now? What did this mean 20 years ago? What did my say public health, public health, public health? That was a really um, slow um, turning ship, I tell you. I know that um, one of the juvenile judges, the local juvenile ju judges in my um, county, like he, 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 he does um, national work and advocacy to make sure that we are dealing with the systemic stuff that's happening that causes the kids to end up in front of him in court. And like that's been his body of work. Um, right. Ever since I met him, so that's like 15 years. And so right. now that work is starting to get attention. But I, what I want to mention about this in the time that we're in with the COVID-19. So what's happening is that um, some of the, um, the systemic problems that may have been, you know, under the surface or not talked about, they're glaring right now. So right. everybody's talking about um, mental health and well-being because you have the world right. is traumatized, right? It's traumatizing that we've lost 100,000 people worldwide in counting. It's um, traumatizing, you know, what some of these hotspot cities look like. It's traumatizing some of the ailments within our healthcare systems and our social um, economic economic um, reform and what that looks like. It's terrible when you see that they're even in the middle of a um, in the middle of a pandemic that some of the um, disparities between one zip code to another are glaring and people are standing up and they're saying no. And they're saying, you know, no, not on my watch. They have no idea what to do. So as we come into a close, Uncle Kenny, I want you to give your best advice for someone that feels a fire in their belly right now, for someone that feels connected to something that has um, you know, dropped into their awareness that they can't let go of. Um, whether it's within their personal families or just within the family of humanity, what would you recommend for their next steps to be you now? Okay. You got to also speak the truth about there's leadership in this country that doesn't give a damn about that suffering. And that's doing that up front. They're going to care anything about the suffering that you're referring to. Okay. Mm -hmm. got to drop that. I got to drop that ball because I just speak the truth. Mm -hmm. The best thing, one of the, one of the best things I could do, and one thing I've I've used to, to be able to move from one segue from one thing to another, whether it was, especially it was something tragic, like Dana, for example, I do not know right now, as I'm speaking to you, I do not know what my mother and grandmother heard. That's how traumatic it was. To this mm -hmm. day, I don't know what they are. Mm -hmm. That's how traumatic it was. Mm -hmm. And I never want to go back because I never want to go through that trauma again mm -hmm. on a consistent basis. That's mm -hmm. why I'm never going back and never wanted to know. Mm -hmm. I do not want to go. Mm -hmm. But if I can, can you hear me, Dana? Yeah, I can hear you quite well. Okay. The first thing you got to do is you got to realize that the law, the law of nature is that every positive to a, to a negative, there's a positive. Mm -hmm. To every reaction, there's a, on the chemistry, there's an equal and opposite re reaction. Mm -hmm. So if you're going through a hard time or a difficult time, you got to look down inside of you and look at that difficult time that you're going through. And then you got to say, 
and find that positive, mm-hmm. whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Drugs, I don't care what it is. There's something. I'm going through this for a reason, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And what is the positive I can take out of this? Right. That's 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 a very uh, best advice. And then the other advice I can give is that what I've always done is that I don't care whether you're a janitor or a CEO, you got to work. Mm-hmm. People, people who rise to the top are the people that work the hardest. You watch the documentary about Michael Jordan, and you can see why he was a great basketball player. Mm-hmm. Because that's all he did was worked at it and worked at it and worked at it to make himself that. Mm-hmm. So if you want to do and you want to change things, you got to be able to work hard at doing it too. Mm-hmm. And that's what I've done all of my life. Yes, you have. You really have. And so, um, purpose peeps, um, wise, wise words of wisdom from this change agent, from this local hero that went from the unimaginable to making change that seemed impossible when he first met the call to change. And so I'm hoping that you are encouraged by his story. I'm hoping that you are encouraged to do exactly what he says, which is to be able to delve deep inside of oneself and make something positive out of something so terribly negative. So that's it for now, Purpose Peeps. Thank you so much, Uncle Kenny, for stopping by. I hope that you come by and spend some more time with the Purpose Peeps. Of course. You just have so many different stories and tangents that we can um, delve into. I can't wait to hear their feedback. They can direct some of our future conversations. So thank you so much. I love you from the bottom of my heart. I just love you so much, my my beautiful niece. (laughs) I'm <laughs> sick.